why we say here in the modern day that companies like Lotus are trolls all the way. Patent trolls extort large companies and tiny, and when you call them trolls, they're offended and all whiny. They get all kinds of whiny. Hello, and welcome to the Tech Dirt Podcast. I'm Mike Masnick. Over the last few weeks, we've had a variety of guest participants talking about their own areas of focus, which has been really great. But this week, we're back to our original crew of Hirsch Reddy and Dennis Yang. Hirsch hasn't been able to make the podcast in a while, so we're happy that you're back. Yay! (laughs) And so today and next week, we're actually going to focus on one of... Hirsch's own areas of focus, which are patents. Uh, Obviously, patents and the patent system have been a big area of focus on TechDirt for many years. And over the last few months, every other week or so, I'd get a text message from Hirsch saying, hey, I think it's time to do a podcast on patents. (laughs) You make me sound so eager. (laughs) You are. And I agree. And so who better to talk about it than you, Hirsch, who has a computer science degree, worked in the tech industry for many years before going back to law school and becoming a dreaded patent attorney, something I warned you against doing. Uh, Between us, we have a lot of opinions about patents, and so we're going to turn this one into a two-parter, hopefully. We'll see how this goes. But this week, we're going to try and discuss what we see as the problems of the patent system, and next week, we'll try and dig into some potential solutions, though... We'll see. I figure some of the solution stuff will probably drag into this week, and some of the problems will probably show up in next week's. Uh, Since I know that Hirsch is already eager to speak his mind on this subject, uh, I'll keep the intro short. But uh, in my experience, the patent system is based on a premise that is fundamentally flawed, and that is that the incentives to innovate are monopoly control over an invention, which will allow the inventor to recoup the cost of research. If you look at the history of innovation, however, it simply does not support this theory. Innovation tends to be driven by a combination of need and the general desire to build something better. And the incentive for greater innovation seems to often come from competition rather than monopoly control. And thus, it seems like the patent system is often directly counterproductive to advancing innovation. Competition is what lets innovators experiment and continue to improve on good ideas, providing whatever will best serve the market. The patent system, however, gets in the way of that and says that most, per- most participants can't actually build the best possible product because they're legally blocked from doing so, or they can only do so while paying a ridiculously high price if that's even on the table. The end result is toll booths that hinder innovation rather than competition that enables it. On top of this, some structural problems with the patent system today has given rise to a whole class of companies, and I hesitate to even use the word companies to describe them, known as patent trolls, that really use the system as a form of extortion. Though I'd argue that the problems of the patent system go beyond just trolls to practicing entities as well, using the system as a way to block competition in a manner that harms the public and the wider innovation economy. So Hirsch, 
have at it. What do you think is wrong with the patent system today in your view? <laughs> that is an <clears throat> expansive question. Um, wow. All right. So where to start? Remember, we have two, two weeks to do this. <laughs> right. So don't try to cram everything into my first five minutes. Okay. Got it. Um, so you basically, you know, you covered all the, you know, the basics of patents, yeah. right? The, the reason we have patents is because we are trying to encourage some sort of research or development that wouldn't occur yeah. without the patent, right? That's the basic logic. I mean, the, the, the official logic in the Constitution is to mm. promote the progress mm. of the useful arts. And I think the, the arguments you gave against that are, are sometimes counterintuitive to people, right? Because sure. most people feel this intuition that, hey, you know, it goes all the way back to, let's say, our high school or grade school, where someone does all the work for the homework, and if the neighbor can just copy their homework, sure. that's not really fair, yep. right? And it's, it seems intuitive also because, you know, we see these, those kinds of um, representations of, of, of uh, inventors on, in movies where they're working in their garage. They invent, a, what was that movie where he invents a new yeah, type the, of the, wiper? The windshell, windshell wiper. wiper. I what the movie was called. And, but... and then, you know, all the major Which manufacturers. Is somewhat loosely based on a true right. story, but a very exaggerated one. Right. So, so there, there's certainly these tales. And, and uh, you know, here, here's the thing, though. Like, I think, you know, there's, we are all familiar with different areas of kind of technology, right? And, mm -hmm. and we happen to be sitting in Silicon Valley, and we happen to, me and Dennis both, we work in software. And perhaps for, in software, patents have, you know, sort of the least justification, right? There might be, so, so if we talk about patents in the context of software, mm -hmm. kind of the arguments against patents are, are much more easy to make. Sure. Um, it would probably be a more difficult and more, a nuanced conversation if we were talking about something like pharmaceuticals, right? right. So some of the things that I'm going to say really apply to software, and some of the things we all are going to right. be talking about and, really apply and, to software. And so, and it should be noted, just as a, a quick historical note, and we could go into a lot more detail on this, mm. um, which is that for many, many years, until very, very mm -hmm. recently, most people considered that software was not actually patentable. Yep. And then there were sort of a series of cases, um, mostly leading up in the, in the late 90s, mm -hmm. that sort of flipped that over, which yep. created a whole other set of problems beyond just the, the question of whether or not software should be patentable, but the fact that after 1998, suddenly the doors were flung open to say that that software was patentable. Exactly. And then because of the way the patent office itself judges patents and whether or not something is, is patentable subject matter and whether or not there's prior art, they will only realistically mm -hmm. look at other patents, existing patents, or um, journal articles, published yep. journal articles. And yet, because most people and most in the software industry didn't think that software was patentable at all, there, there wasn't you know, decades of prior art. Prior art that that the that the post the the patent office would look at um, because they they won't they were actually forbidden from from doing mm -hmm. internet searches um, for a variety of reasons mm -hmm. and so you created this huge opportunity for people to patent anything yeah uh, and and if you think about sort of the most innovative and valuable software companies of the early 90s and I'm going to talk about the late 90s but the early 90s like Microsoft and 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 uh, you know. Um, some of the other database companies, some companies that are not around anymore. If you think about just what Bill Gates used to say about software patents, mm -hmm. right? When they were starting off, before Microsoft became the patenting powerhouse that they are today, when Bill Gates was talking about software patents initially, he said, look, if you give people 
the permission to take ownership of all these different software algorithms essentially, then what's going to happen is some people are just going to spend time doing those patents and they're going to yeah. go after us. And so seeing this, we Microsoft, we are going to get into the game of getting these patents and suing other people. And that's precisely what they did. And now if you ask Bill Gates or another Microsoft executive about the patent system, they're going to be very quiet. They're going to be very, <laughs> they're going to be very supportive of it because now they have that arsenal, whereas before they didn't. Yeah. So really, when they were on their rise up, they didn't need patents. And, right? and in fact, I mean, if you look at, at Bill Gates's quotes, he actually said, if people had believed that that software patent that software was patentable in the early days of Microsoft, that the entire industry would have developed differently and it wouldn't have developed mm -hmm. as dynamic. Uh, you know. But now, mm -hmm. I actually, this is now five or six years ago, I actually got called in to meet with uh, Microsoft's uh, head of patents, mm -hmm. you know, patent licensing. And it was the most bizarre conversation in which he, you know, we just went back and forth and he tried to convince me that, that licensing patents, you know, Microsoft's licensing program was really good for innovation. And and there was like a complete disconnect. disconnect. Yeah. Well, well, we'll get back to what that disconnect sure. is specifically. But, you know, coming back to this idea that you need to protect things with patents, right? Think about the most valuable companies around us now in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. The Facebooks, the Twitters, right? Neither Facebook or Twitter, when they were rising and getting getting to their big valuations, were actually out there aggressively patenting. It was only after they kind of hit the road, had the rubber burning, that they went out there and said, oh my God, we don't have any patents, we have to go get them. But when they were actually growing their audience and getting the investment and actually getting that explosive growth, they didn't have patents and they weren't asserting patents against yep. anyone. And the same goes for Google. Actually, to this day, has Google ever aggressively asserted a patent uh, against yeah, them? Yeah, only once. And, and so for, for years, I point out the fact that they never um, went on the offensive and asserted a patent against anyone else. The one time they did was actually not, well, it depends on what you consider technically. Mm -hmm. It was Motorola, which, you know, for a brief period of time, Google mm -hmm. owned Motorola. They've since sold it off. And Motorola uh, offensively asserted some patents. And I was actually, you know, when that happened, I wrote about it. And I said, this is, mm -hmm. this is a big shift because Google has never been mm -hmm. on the offensive on patents. But that's the only case where they've done so. And who do they assert it against? I can't remember now. It was, was it a big or a small entity? Do you remember that? It was, I'm pretty sure it was a big entity. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we basically get into this, into this state where you, you think about how patents are used. And, and, you know, so clearly with big companies and companies that are already, you know, on the road to success, they don't really play that much of a role, it seems. Um, but it, but the argument that people will make, and specifically patent attorneys will make this, right, is, you know, I guess patent attorneys other than me, but patent attorneys will make this argument that, hey, we need these software patents because if we don't have them, a small guy sitting in his mom's basement writing software mm -hmm. will make this great system, like a Facebook, and somebody else like a Microsoft will take that idea and clone it and make another Facebook, right? But we can see in the real world, right? Yep. Like how many times do we actually see that? It's like, first of all, a big company like Microsoft or even Google today, Google used to be considered very, you know, on the ball, right? Google has tried 
to make their own Facebook, Google+. They have huge amounts of resources they put behind that. Why weren't they able to do that when Facebook was smaller? It, it's, it's not a trivial problem. And, yeah. and part of the things that protect your software product are intangible things like your team, yep. the expertise within your team, and things like that. And those things are not very intuitive to yeah. the layman, right? And, and, and I mean, they're not even intuitive to the, to the experts. And this is the amazing thing. One quick footnote, because I looked it up while you were just talking. It was Apple. And Motorola. Okay, see, that kind of makes right. sense. So, yeah. But um, yeah, and this is the amazing thing. You know, people who don't spend time actually innovating, and, and by innovating, I don't mean just inventing something new, but actually coming up with products that, that people want, is how people who don't do that don't recognize how little of the sort of um, public Magic. tangible mm -hmm. aspects, mm -hmm. the idea behind the product is what makes it successful. It's always the little sort of intangible things. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to take a product that you see is super successful and make an exact replica of it. Mm -hmm. But actually getting people to buy into that is very, very difficult because there's all sorts of little intangible things that make it work. And so, right, I mean, Microsoft, when Microsoft decided to get big time into search, you know, they were much bigger than Google and had many more resources mm -hmm. and they invested heavily. And, you know, according to many, this, the search product, you know, very quickly became just as good as, as Google's and yet people didn't use it. And and none of this had to do with patents or, or mm -hmm. you know, this sort of, you know, we know what the, the sort of... Um, uh, explicit aspects of what a good search mm -hmm. engine are, but that doesn't make it one that people will actually want to use. Well, you know, one way you can sort of judge the valuableness of this sort of, um, of the, you know, critical patents of Google is the fact that they went around while after they had that page rank patent and tried to get acquired and everybody turned them down. Yeah. Right? It was very modest purchase prices that they were offering, right? It was like less than $10 million at some point. They were offering themselves up for sale and nobody jumped on that. You know, it wasn't like just the idea alone was valuable, right? But, but let, let's let's jump on um, back onto this thing, which is like, look, the 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 real crux of the matter, the real justification boils down to every time this sense that we have the patent system to prevent this case of like really terrible unfairness. And sure. what is that terrible unfairness? It is the hardworking inventor screwed by the greedy Scrooge billionaire. Who, who, who steals the idea, right? That is really the thing. So if you think about it from that point of view, introducing, a, we could all sit here and be like, yeah, I actually, you know, as a society, we want to prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. But what costs are we willing to bear to prevent that harm from happening? And how often does that harm happen? Because that would sort of uh, inform, you know, your, your, your tolerance for how high you would want the, the, the effort or regulation burden to be in order to prevent that harm. To just, to, to give you kind of an analogy, like what's, you know, another kind of harm that happens very much now in the technological world is let's say something like, uh, like, like bullying, right? Online and offline mm -hmm. bullying. And there's often tragedies associated with bullying, right? Like people, people commit suicide, uh, they're scarred for life, etc. We can all get behind stopping bullying. Now imagine we, as a society, said we want to have absolutely no bullying at all, right? Like what kind of regulations could we dream up? We would dream up regulations where we'd be like, oh, you know, we, let, let's make it so that everything a kid says anytime is recorded, and can be reviewed by a committee to see if he was bullying someone. 
We could say that. Let's forget about sort of the privacy implications of that because that's not really um, relevant to my analogy. But let's just imagine that we say we're going we're gonna to have this situation where we're going to record everything a kid says in high school and we're going to examine it for bullying. And then we have a com- anytime somebody feels like they're bullied, they could have your recording pulled in front of a committee and that committee is going to decide whether you're bullying or not. Right. Imagine how much that would suppress people's ability to just express themselves. Yep. Imagine how many false accusations would happen because in, minus the context, things could be misinterpreted. Imagine the cost of having to have these committees, recording devices, and all these things. And you would think to yourself, if we had that system in place, backing out of that system would be nearly impossible because everyone would say, oh my God, my kid could get bullied if the system was reversed, right? I feel like this is what the patent system is like. We feel like if we back out of this crazy system we have, things are going to get stolen. People are going to suffer. But if if we were really starting today and saying, do we need to introduce a patent system? If we had a software industry that didn't have a patent system, we would would really struggle to kind of justify the huge regulatory burden that this system actually is for like startups and, and companies. And I think looking at it from that perspective... It's something that people don't do enough. Yeah, you know? and and you know one thing that I mean, you brought up that point um, that you know that that people sort of recognize that there's you know they they think of the case the the sort of fairness case right where somebody invents something great and somebody else just copies it and, and runs off with all the work. And so there there are two points that I think are really interesting about that. One is that we know that that almost never happens with the with the patent system today because and you can tell because under today's patent laws if you can show willful infringement which is you know mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean took the idea and directly copied it but someone who did take the idea and directly copy it that would include willful infringement mm-hmm. that will give you triple damages mm-hmm. right and so therefore in cases where that's happening, it always makes sense for the plaintiff mm-hmm. to argue that there was willful infringement and to make the case that they mm-hmm. copied it. And yet, in ve- it's very, very rare yep. that in I cases... I can't think of a single and, case. And there, was, yeah, there is a study, um, and I'm sort of trying to look it up as I speak, which makes it difficult, mm-hmm. but there was a study that showed it was... I forget what it is, but it's a tiny, tiny percentage of patent cases actually involve mm-hmm. a claim of willful infringement. Mm-hmm. And you, you know what that indicates, right? That means that people, when you have patented something, they are independently inventing the yeah. same patented thing. And that's something that I think most laymen don't realize about our patent system, is if I go and patent something that I made in my bedroom, and then you went in your bedroom and invented it completely yep. independent from me, I can still sue you. Yep. And, that, and so that gets to the second point, which is exactly along those lines, which is, you know, one of the things that I bring up is people say, you know, people who haven't experienced this aspect of the patent system, they look at it and they say, well, you know, isn't it unfair for that person who did all that research to then suddenly have to face competition? But let's bring up the, the other point, the real point. The way this really works is that, you know, if someone is working on a particular project, it's likely that five or ten or however many mm-hmm. other companies are working on that mm-hmm. same project. So let's just take the three of us around this table, right? And each of us are working on some big new invention, and we're each tinkering away in our garage, if we're going to go with the sort of independent mm-hmm. garage inventor concept. And it just so happens, you know, Hirsch, that you get figure it out a week before Dennis and I. And so you rush to the patent office and you get that patent. And let's just assume my solution isn't as good, by the way. Right. Um, well, we'll get there, right? <laughs> but first, let's assume that the solution is equal, right? Now, 
you know, all three of us spent whatever, let's say a, a year, year. Yeah. just doing all this research and putting all this effort in. And yet, you know, so the argument that, well, you deserve that patent because you put in all that effort doesn't make sense in this situation, which is the much more realistic scenario. Because now, even though I and Dennis mm -hmm. also put in all that work and research, now, not only do we not get the monopoly for doing that work, we can't even make use of our own completely independent work. Yep. Because you have the patent and can block us from doing so. And then you take it to that next level, which is the other point that you brought up, and you say, well, what if the solution that I came up with is better? What if the solution that Dennis came up with is even better than that? That doesn't matter. We're completely blocked from doing it because yeah. you hold the patent and can completely mm -hmm. block it. And actually, let's, let's, track, let's tra track back on one of the things you said. Imagine You said, let's imagine we worked a year for the, on sure. that patent. That I, look, I've been working as a patent attorney for this many years, right? Honestly, most of the stuff that gets patented in software <laughs> in software patents is not stuff that people worked on for a year, yeah. right? It's not even stuff that people worked on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, a lot of times it's just like people come up with an idea over lunch or maybe over a week. Yeah. Oh, in fact, a lot of times people don't realize this. A business team sits together and goes like, oh, wouldn't it be cool to do this? And it's a very high level thing. You know, like uh, imagine we have a juice machine and you can order stuff on it. You know, using a mobile phone, and then if the juice machine doesn't have the juice you want, a truck is told to bring the juice to the machine or right. something like that, right? And you'd be like, oh, but isn't that just common sense? No, but you could actually write a patent like that, and I'm pretty sure you could you get through the check, patent. Office. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it probably doesn't exist, and someone out there, go ahead and patent it. I mean, right. You'd have to cite me as an inventor, but like, you know what I mean? Like, that's the kind of stuff that people are patenting and getting away with. And the thing is, the thing about it is, um, uh, People just assume that because it has this word patent on it, yeah. that it was a bunch of guys sweating in a laboratory with these white coats, yeah. these uh, chemistry goggles yeah. on, and just wiping the sweat of their brow. It's not like that. It's, uh, in fact, like, you know, I might get in trouble talking too much about this, <laughs> but like, I've worked with some like pretty big clients where like the patenting system, the way it works is like you go into a room, like four or five engineers show up. And everyone just starts shooting out these ideas on stuff that they were already working on for a couple of years and be like, oh, should we do a patent on this? Oh, sure, maybe. How about this one? And they just start throwing out stuff that, that they didn't invent to do a patent, that there wasn't like some kind of like big research project to do. It was just like, hey, dude, this guy's working on like this right. website. Is there and, anything and we can patent here? Like, yeah, you know, and, and, and it's, it's worth just, pointing out, like the, there is no requirement to actually make a working version exactly. of what you're right. trying to patent. You can just there patent. There used to be, though, right? So. Uh, yeah, in the early, early days, but it's been a long time since that's been in yeah. place. And so, um, and so, you know, and, and so you can, you can patent things that are impossible. You can patent a time machine, yeah. right? Right. But I, think, but I think that that's part of, I mean, one of the things that I think it's maybe societal or cultural is like since, I think since we're very young, you would, ha you would think of something. And I, I remember like being a kid and being like, that's a great idea. You should patent it. Right. And I think that it's, that's, this idea of a patent, this idea of like an idea ownership thing has been around since, you know, for a long, long time. And I think that that's kind of, I mean, I don't, I don't actually, I actually disagree with you that people think that people work long and hard on patents. Mm -hmm. I think that there's this concept of a gold rush mentality towards mm -hmm. thinking of an idea, right? Mm -hmm. Where if you're the so-called first person to think of an, mm -hmm. an, an idea, you deserve something. And I think that that's, I don't know where that comes from, um, is that... Like, is it an American thing? Is it, is it, like, yeah. 
No, yeah. I mean, I think... Right. This idea that the idea man is the most important guy in the organization and all these idiots right. just slogging <laughs> and doing it don't really... Like, well, no, I mean, that, it's part of that. One is that people certainly overestimate the value of the idea versus the execution. And yeah. I think that's a big part of it. But I think there's something else that Dennis is getting at, which is important, which is that there is this sort of expectation that um, you know, that whoever comes up with, with any idea deserves yeah. some sort of ownership claim over it. And that's not just in the patent space. I mean, we see that in, certainly in copyright and yeah. trademark and, and other areas of intellectual property as well. And but, it, but I think that sting is very, that's, it's something very human about it, right? Like if you, sure. like we always see companies like, like, oh man, like I thought of that a year ago, like five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Like remember when we talked about that? And I think that 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 kind of sting is very real, and yeah. and the patent system kind of speaks to that. So mm-hmm. like how like like how yeah, do we? No, no. There's a, there's an emotional connection to it, and I yeah. think that's definitely true. And I think you know, and, and I do wonder how much of that is just sort of a natural reaction versus how much of that is sort of been sort of you know brainwashed into people yeah. because we've just been hearing the same you know independent inventor. Yep. Exactly. Uh, you know, well, argument over and over It's not brainwashing in America today because you actually can go and sue people if you have a patent. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's perfectly rational for me as a lawyer to tell my client that, hey, this is what you can do. I mean, because my clients have to live with the patent system that exists, not the one that I wished would exist, right? <laughs> right. So, so, I mean, that's why, you know, to some extent I... I I owe my employability to the fact that the system is so <laughs> broken, right? Like, like, why would people come and hire me in Silicon Valley? Um, yeah, I mean, is, is there, is, are there businesses that, that just sit around and think about, like, when new technology is invented? Yep. Right, like, oh, hey. Oh, totally. Like, totally. that's a great technology. You could do this, and they just start writing patents. Yeah, and in, yep. fact, in yeah. fact, it goes even further than that. We actually just had an article about this, which is this company that is coming out there. I don't know if you saw this, but... Uh, they're taking patents. So if you come up with an idea and you write a patent, they will then, <laughs> they have an algorithm that will take the patent that you write and then basically write substitute of, in yeah. other words yeah. Yeah. to try and create more patents that will cover similar ideas <laughs> and areas and they're automating the patent. Is that patented as well? I, okay, it, I would it, not it, surprise it, me. It, it must be. The thing is, this system is already at a state of absurdity. And the only people who argue that it's not absurd are literally the patent lawyers, right? Like the venture capitalists. (laughs) Well, there's, yeah, I guess we, if I place myself, I guess I am a patent lawyer. You are. But but it's basically the only people who argue that it's not are the patent judges, the patent lawyers, uh, the the assertion entities, like the VCs. Right, the people who directly benefit from the existing system. I mean, is is far, is it worth to bring up pharma? Pharma at this point, I mean, pharma is seems to be different. I, I don't want to muddy the so, water with pharma because even though we can make an argument against even pharma patents, it's much more nuanced and yeah. it's much more on the borderline. So let's okay. actually, yeah, it's, let's. It's let, I, it, but it's an it's actually a really interesting discussion. It's one that I yeah. like having because there are people who do like to say, well, you know, okay, patents make sense in pharma, and, and I actually question that. But I think yeah. that's a big discussion, and so maybe we'll do another podcast on that down the road. Yeah, I don't know about it. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that immediately. But let's do that. Let's do that eventually. But yeah, that that's you know, uh, that's a whole other. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's much clearer with software, just because. I mean, for software patents, at least there's data to show, right? There's data to yeah. show, you know how how absurd it's gotten. You know, one of the clear things that I, I, you know, I can talk about in this, you know, just having been a patent attorney and being paid to do this stuff is. One of the, th- you know, when, when startups come to me a lot of times, the founders have no interest in filing patents. They come yeah. to me with pat- for patent advice. And the patent advice they will ask for and is, is typically like, how do we not get sued? Not right. how do we sue somebody else, right? It'll be how do we not get sued? And um, 
you know, by the way, I'm not taking any clients now, by the way. I'm, I'm, I actually work for a startup now, and yeah. so I'm not, so if anyone's listening to this, don't come to me with any more. But having said that, um, how do I not get sued is kind of the most common question. And unfortunately for them, you know, if they come to a patent attorney like me, I'll oftentimes tell them, save your money. Yeah. Because doing, the, the typical thing they ask you is for like a clearance search where they tell me to go and do a search on the subject right. matter they want to do work in. Mm -hmm. And I'm supposed to go and find all the patents that could possibly be used to sue them if they do this and that and, and help them to sort of avoid those patents. I, I used to do that. I used to charge for that. And you know what? There's no value in it because there's so many different ways that you can describe a patented thing right. that, first of all, even to sort of describe specifically what they're going to do is hard enough to find the patents that are applicable. Right. And, and forget about what specifically you're going to do. Anytime you do something, you can get sued for something completely different and trivial that you had no idea yeah. you could And get in sued fact, for. I mean, that's what usually happens. Is people even yeah. say, like, even if they had looked the at patents patent. in, yeah, yeah, yeah. they looked at, you know, patents in their area and they never thought that the, you know, they never even saw the one that they, mm -hmm. they eventually got sued over. And that brings up one other point that I want to make sure that we, that we bring into all this, which is, you know, one of the key reasons behind the patent system from the very beginning was the idea that you were supposed to be disclosing these ideas mm -hmm. so that eventually once the patent expires, other people could learn from that. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you talk to anyone, especially in the software space, you don't learn a damn thing right. from a patent that Here's is Here's a there. challenge. Has anybody ever <laughs> heard of an engineer going to the U.S. Patent Office patent papers and looking at the patent to figure out how to do software. Never, <laughs> right. never. You go to GitHub, you go to somewhere where it's actually transparent. Has anyone actually read a software patent? I mean, I yeah. write these things. <laughs> I show them to an inventor and the inventor comes back to me and, and they'll be like, this yeah. kind of looks like what I invented, but what is all this legalese? Like, I don't even understand it. And that, I mean, that's the, the, the diagrams are usually my favorite part. Yeah. <laughs> There's some like, good ones. Yeah. yeah. But, 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 the, but that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, and somebody made this argument that, you know, a patent should be, you know, you should be able to actually read a patent and then from that patent be able to implement what the patent is supposed to be doing. Right. And yet, you know, with software patents, it's impossible. They talk about it's very, very broad and general ideas. And they do that on purpose because that's the way that they can sue everybody down the road when somebody actually does something that's sort of kind of maybe if you squint and, yeah. you know, twist your head can yeah. look like that. I mean, I have a question here in terms of like, you don't have to, so, so say hypothetically I were an inventor and I came up with some amazing new novel ways, to say call it like a battery or something, something crazy yeah. um, that you could not reverse engineer, right? You don't like, need to patent it. I don't need and to patent in it, fact, but should yeah. I, do, would I want to patent it? Like I'm, I'm like, nobody yeah, can, nobody can figure it out, right? Like, like people can, you can keep. Your employees could leave the company, Yeah, but right? true. But so what I'm yeah, saying is the, like, yeah. you can still keep a trade secret, right? And like yeah, people yeah. do that. A lot. Well, that's <laughs> that's a whole other oh, area. Whole other <laughs> okay. Trade secrets maybe is another <laughs> future podcast subject. But yeah, right. And so, but but you're exactly right, right. Which is that, you know, with a patent, even even with all these other issues, a patent does only yeah. last for 20, 20 years from application, right? right? So right. after that, anyone can do anything with it. Mm -hmm. um, and so, in theory, if you have an idea that is really you know super amazing, yeah. and that you think you can keep secret, you're you know, depending on what you're trying to do, yeah. generally speaking, people argue that you're better off just keeping it as a trade secret and not filing a patent. There are many, many caveats to that sure. claim. Sure. Um, and there are reasons why you might want to right. 
push things publicly and there are or maybe you don't know i mean the reason why facebook worked and google plus didn't like it's again a lot of right, reasons you, right, you so. don't know that yeah, you don't know things, but um but we are running out of time on this particular one so we're, let's do final final points on why the patent system sucks <laughs> why the, i don't yeah man you put me in the position where, Dennis, I mean, I'll, I'll start i mean basically like the from as an entrepreneur, like I actually rarely talk about think about patents. Honestly, um, the last thing you need to be thinking about when you're starting a company is whether or not you're either infringing upon other patents or you, even if you have patentable things. I think the last time I talked about patents was when lawyers kind of at the end of a, of a startup experience, they were like, "Hey, let's take a look here if there's anything patentable." Right. Um, and in terms of being sued, I think that that's one of those problems that. If someone's suing you for patent infringement, you're probably doing pretty well. So, so good job. So, yeah. and if you're and if you're suing someone with your patents, you yeah. know, conversely, you're usually somebody who has not succeeded. I mean, people yep. who are succeeding in the market right. don't go out there wasting their time trying to sue. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to focus my energy on building yeah. the company and not kind of worrying about the patent part of it. Yeah, and, and 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 so you know, on that, it's definitely true that it's kind of a rite of passage after a startup raises yeah. a bunch of venture capital to get sued. Yep. But there are cases where sure. you know patent trolls have definitely, especially more recently, have yeah. really started to shake down smaller players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's and true. you know, and we didn't even get into the fact that the reason why, and we'll probably get into this in the next week's podcast, but the reason why so much of this works is that they know that the cost of defending a patent suit is so yeah. high. Yeah. Um, and so they're they're willing to shake down a company and say, "You pay me ten thousand dollars, and I'll go away." You do that with enough right. small companies, and it's actually worthwhile. Um, and it but, takes a lot of courage to fight the suits in that kind of yeah. situation. But the more exposure we have to the to the fights, the better, right? So yeah, but we'll get into that we'll in, in, yeah. in next week's. But um, oh, my last thoughts. Yeah. You know, my last thoughts on this is that you know, you know, maybe a little bit orthogonal to what we've been talking about. But you know, my opinions on this as a patent attorney are actually not that rare. And the way Masnick <laughs> say it makes it sound is that it's really rare. You know what? In private, a lot of patent attorneys who are common sense people who work with engineers who are in the valley completely agree with me. There's very few people who are going to get on a podcast and talk about it in that way because you're basically, uh, you're, you're, you're shitting on your own career, yeah. right? And the way I get around that is making it clear to people that like, look, even though I don't like the system, you know, this is a system we have and I'll help you navigate it to the best, you know, for you and your shareholders the best we can, you know? So um, that that's the kind of the way I rationalize it. But for a lot of people... It's very difficult to work like that to basically say, I know the system is broken and and to they, they feel like they're gonna need to justify why they work in the system. Oh, this is a great system. But f- you know, most of the no nonsense patent attorneys and private at least will basically say, This is so busted. You know, both I'm yeah. not just talking about litigators. Obviously, litigators <laughs> might actually have more of an incentive to admit it's busted because you're helping people defending against patent suits. Yeah. Not just litigators, even prosecutors. People do actually write patents. Yeah. So there's. I it, mean, what I've seen at least, and, and yeah. this is a, a very broad generalization, so maybe it's not true, but the patent lawyers who uh, were actual engineers before mm-hmm. they went into the law, mm-hmm. they tend to agree with that. The patent lawyers who never were engineers or never worked in tech before becoming patent lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to defend the system much more strongly. Yeah. Again, huge generalization, yeah. but, but that's, that's yeah. at least my <laughs> experience. That could be kind of a fair assessment. <laughs> but I'm sure you'll find at least some former working engineers. Oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there are exceptions well. to that. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's a very broad um, thing. It's so complicated. Yeah, anyway. but so, so my, my just sort of final thoughts on this is that, I, you know, I really think that, 
you know, the system is incredibly broken. And I think that, you know, you talk to anyone who's actually doing innovative work, especially in software, but increasingly in hardware today, too. You know, there's a lot of tech hardware startups that are popping up these days. They're realizing that the patent system does exactly the opposite of what it is supposed to do, which is encouraging innovation. Instead, it's very much hindering innovation and, you know, creating a lot of money for lawyers um, but not for innovators. And so that's a problem. And hopefully next week we're going to solve it, right? We can solve all this in half an hour. Yeah. All right. No problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks, guys. And we'll be back next week with part two of our patent discussion. Bye. They don't build anything. They're lifeless, soulless creatures. They glom on to creative folk and suck away like leeches. They're the perfect symbol of our time. Their smell cannot be rancor. 